Hey, how's everybody doing? And welcome back to 125 Unfiltered, episode 60. And we have to talk about it. We have to talk about UNC basketball and their loss yesterday versus Notre Dame, 73 to 78. I've got a lot to break down for you guys. Can't say I'm excited to get into it, but I definitely have a lot of thoughts on the game, some big takeaways defensively and offensively, and just how UNC basketball can move forward because, man, this looks like the third year in a row that this is just going to be a team that underachieves. But we obviously as fans do not want that, but I'll hop straight into it starting with my typical game recap and then, like I said, takeaways from the game from what I saw on the floor. So UNC lost 73-78 to yesterday. We were down by as much as 13 in the second half. We ended up going up one. We took our first lead in the second half with 3.37 remaining. But then for the rest of that time, we had two field goals, both being R.J. Davis three-pointers. One of them was a long desperation heave with time winding down. So in reality, in our two-minute offense, we only had one field goal. That's really bad offensive execution down the stretch. In that time, we let Notre Dame big man Nate Lashevsky get whatever he wanted from beyond the arc. He hit two huge back-to-back three-pointers for Notre Dame to help extend their lead or regain the lead, I should say, and then eventually seal the deal with some free throws. Speaking of Lashevsky, he was dominant last night. We had no answer for him. 20 points for the night for Lashevsky. 7 of, 7 of 11 from the field. 6 of 7 from three-point range. If we remember from last year, he dropped 7 three-pointers on us, uh, even though we ended up winning that game with a leaky black game winner. So he's made 13 threes against UNC in his past two games. Absolutely unacceptable. We need to find a way to to guard a stretch four, we have a couple ourselves. Brady Manick looking at you. But we absolutely couldn't stop him. He was dominant. He was getting good shots early. He was getting open looks throughout the game. You got to credit Notre Dame for their game plan because, again, we had no answer. Blake Wesley, freshman point guard for Notre Dame, he had 18 points, 8 of 18 from the field, 13 in the first half. Really, really impressive. This kid was super, super impressive to me. Really good player. He's quick. He can shoot the ball. He can get to the basket. Announcers were saying he's got first-round talent written all over him, and I can totally see it. Wesley was really, really good. Seems like he's ready to take the reins at the point guard spot. Dan Goodwin, their leading scorer, he had 17 points, 7 of 11 from the field. Really consistent shooter there. So those three guys were the the players who really did the damage against the Tar Heels. And then on our side, Armando Baycott, a monster game, 21 points, 17 rebounds. That's a career high for him on the rebounds. 9 of 13 from the field. R.J. Davis, I thought was very good. 19 points, 6 of 12 from the field, 5 assists. And then Caleb Love, he had 15, big second half with 13 of those points, 6 of 12 from the field, but he did have four turnovers. We're going to get more into those later on this episode. For percentages, we allowed Notre Dame to shoot 48% from the field, 42% from three. They only had seven turnovers to our 14 turnovers. They had 15 assists to our 10. Now, to look more in-depth with this game, how did this happen? And why did we let them shoot so well from the field? 
And then how come we weren't able to execute offensively for most of the game? We had some nice runs. We had a couple 8-0 runs. Uh, Caleb Love really started getting in a groove uh, in that second half. But again, offensive execution down the stretch really, really failed. Uh, we weren't able to get the ball to, to, to Baycott for good looks. We were hoisting up threes. Some bad decisions by Caleb Love resulted in bad shots and turnovers. And then obviously the leaky black missed layup to seal the deal with like 20 seconds left. Biggest takeaway for me from the game for why we lost, because this is a game we are favored to win, a game we should have won. Uh, now, was it a game we deserved to win with how we played? Absolutely not. We completely underperformed. This was not Carolina basketball. But we are a better team than what, than what we have shown in our previous losses. So biggest takeaway, number one, on defense. Because defense was terrible. Notre Dame was getting as many open threes as they wanted. We played right into their hands. And it has all to do with screens and how we guard them. There are three ways you can guard a screen. First way is you can fight through a screen. You can fight over the top of it. Now what that does, it could let a guard turn a corner. Leave your big in a one-on-two. That leads to kick out threes, ball movement. The, um, the screens are a big part of the game. Very important how you guard them. But if you fight through them, you can disrupt the ball handler and, and uh, make them reset their offense. Second way to do it, you can hedge, which means that on the ball screen, the guard and the big man will both go at the ball handler, prevent a pass over the top to the big man as he's rolling to the basket. And then slowly you've got the guard staying, you've got, so let's say RJ Davis and Armando Baycott. You've got Davis staying on the ball, making sure he doesn't pull up a three. But then you got Baycott retreating back after he pushes the opposing team's point guard or ball handler uh, further outside to prevent him from attacking the basket. Very effective way of guarding the pick and roll, but also somewhat risky because if he finds a way to pass around the two guys, then you've got four on three. That's, uh, that's a problem. But the way we decided to defend these screens is by switching. For me, switching is the lazy way, the easy way to guard a screen. All you do, just simply swap who's guarding who. Now, why is this a problem for us? And how was it a problem yesterday? Notre Dame was picking their own matchups based off of our switching. So when Blake Wesley, Notre Dame point guard, is being guarded by RJ Davis, and then you've got Nate Lashevsky or Paul Atkinson, their other big men, coming to screen. When we switch, we have Armando Baycott or Brady Manick guarding lightning quick Blake Wesley. Now what he's able to do, he's able to shake and bake. He's able to dance a little bit, pull up a three, drive to the basket. If another defender collapses on him, he kicks out to his teammate. They swing the ball around. They shoot a three or Wesley just beats us off the dribble because our big man is too slow. Notre, again, Notre Dame used our switching of screens to create mismatches that favored them. Whether it was Wesley, Prentice Hub, Trey Wirtz, it you name it, they took advantage of Brady Manick all night long. Brady Manick was a ghost out there on the perimeter. He was clearly not comfortable out there. They kept hunting for that matchup due to us switching on screens. Now, how can you avoid that? Fight over them. Your guard should be pushing, fighting through these screens. Yeah, you might get a foul called every once in a while, but what does it do? It keeps your man's, your man-to-man uh, -man matchups intact. It keeps your big guy on their big guy. 
keeps your guard on their guard because with our constant switching, we had defenders getting confused. There were miscommunications. It's very easy to miscommunicate on switching. It looked like they were switching a lot of the time. And as a result, because you can either, you can pick and roll, you can pick and pop, a lot of things you can do moving off of screens. This is how they were getting all of their open three-pointers. And this is why players like Nate Leshevsky had a big night, because he is the, the screener. He's rolling to the basket. He's popping out to the three-point line. And because you have a smaller guard going at him for a contest, or the switching takes too long and the point guard makes a couple good passes around, they get open threes and they knock them down. Again, 42% clip from three. This was the huge problem for the game for me yesterday because we did the same thing against Tennessee. We went under screens. We were switching on screens. And that gives guards way too much space to shoot threes. And it allows the ball to move faster than the players because that's just how it works. Notre Dame was whipping passes around. UNC was scrambling all over the place trying to figure out who was guarding who off of the switches. So why am I talking about this? Why am I suggesting the other options? Because you can make in-game adjustments, Coach Davis. That's what you're there for. For a four-minute period, we were hedging on screens. We were trying to trap the ball handle up top. What happened? We went on an 8-0 run, and they looked very, very scrambled. They looked all over the place. Notre Dame's offense, for the first time, all game was not succinct. It was not organized. Because all it takes is a little bit of panic to set in for that guard, and they're not going to make that easy pass that they were able to off a switch. And when we did hedge, we had the big guy retreat the way you're supposed to. This is not a difficult concept. People learn this in basketball all the time. Heck, I learned this in 10th grade JV basketball. Now, obviously, the college player, the college level is a completely different ball game than high school, but still... This defense, this or lack thereof of a defensive adjustment really did us in because it built Notre Dame a lead, like I said, 13-point lead in the second half. It made UNC have to climb out of a hole, and in the end, it was not enough because Brady Manick or Baycott were getting picked on on the perimeter, and our other defenders were either falling asleep, not ready to read passes, or it was just as simple as a mismatch. So how many times was R.J. Davis down on the block guarding a big? Way too many. How many times should he be doing that? Zero. He should never be guarding Leshevsky in the paint. That should never happen. So I'm really not a fan of the switching, especially against Notre Dame. And another reason why this happened is because who's on the court? We, you, we all know UNC loves to run two bigs. But what Notre Dame was doing is they had four guards on the court, four ball handlers, and one big. So this means that Brady Manick was on. When, he, when him and Baycott were in the game, Manick was on one of these four ball handlers, whether it was Dane Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, they're, they're taller guys. He, he wasn't originally on Hubber Wesley. But that is an easy, easy switch for Notre Dame to get their preferred defender on their preferred ball handler, to attack the basket, go one-on-one, -on -one, and then get their ball movement going because, man, they were whipping that ball around like it was nothing. So another adjustment Coach Davis can make, sub out Brady. He was gassed. He was so tired. 
Keep Baycott out there as your one big. Put in four guards. You got Caleb Love. You got RJ Davis. You had Leaky Black out there. DeMarco Dunn got a bit of run. Dontre Styles, you could have played him a little bit more than three minutes. Anthony Harris, we all know what he can do. He had five points. I thought he was pretty decent, providing some good minutes off the bench. But you've got guys to you've got you've got guards and versatile forwards, or I don't want to say versatile forwards, but you know, athletic forwards to guard these ball handers and players that are able to switch. Adontra Styles, again, only three minutes. He's a guy who can guard positions one through four. He can switch onto practically anyone. I'd be confident even with him guarding Nate Lashevsky. He's big. He's 670. He's, he's a big, strong body down there. For, for, why not play him more? That's like an easy thing to say. But the other, the other thing to say is why aren't we running four guards, why aren't we matching Notre Dame's lineup? We were playing to their strengths and what they wanted, and I know you want to stick to your game plan. I know you want to stick to what works, and that's our two big offense. We have more versatile bigs now. Brady Manna can shoot from the outside. It's not just full-on post play. But that is the consequence of playing with your two bigs against the other team that only has one. And with the style of defense we were playing... That is what created all of those mismatches. And we paid for it. Noah went on a bit of a, a run there about our defense. Hopefully that all made sense to you guys. Definitely some more advanced basketball uh, analysis and, or, or terminology. Um, but, I, but I feel very passionate about this. I think um, when we saw, in my opinion, when we saw that the switching wasn't working, I think we should have started fighting over screens, start hedging on screens maybe, and if they get a couple rolls to the basket, so be it. But the last thing we needed was for this team, who was very hot during the game, to get open three-pointers. So I'm going to transition over to the offense, but for all Tar Heel fans listening, for those of you worried about defense, that is my answer. That is why we lost the game. Just to sum it up, we switched on screens, and we sent out two big lineups, or two big men lineups, that favored what Notre Dame wanted to do on offense because they were picking their individual one-on-one matchups, simply by setting screens. So, Coach Davis needs to improve on that front. He's got to make adjustments in-game, got to make adjustments at halftime because there were moments where when we were coming back in the game, we were playing better defense. We were getting stops. We got a bit lucky with them missing a couple. But, you know, this was, the, I mean, for some parts of the game, we were really strong defensively. But for, I'd say, about three-fourths of the game, a poor defensive effort with no urgency, not much hustle at all. And that gave Notre Dame whatever they wanted. But enough of the defense. I'm sure you guys are just as concerned about the offense. So let's talk about it. To start off with the offense, I saw some things on Twitter last night talking about Armando Baycott's usage, including I believe his dad was uh, tweeting about it on Twitter, saying he should have gotten the ball more, which I don't disagree with. He was dominating 21-17, and 17, nothing, to, um, nothing to look over, but he did have four turnovers, and they were doing a better job, I would say, in that second half of putting two guys on him, collapsing on him, getting better contests. And it's just hard at the end of the game with, uh, with, with five minutes to go to just toss the ball down to Baycott down there and have him go to work one-on-one. You need ball movement. You need to really run your offense. Now, our alternative wasn't much better at all. Could, you could argue it was worse. 
But I'm not upset with his usage. 13 shots is still a lot. And he's going to keep doing this on the on a regular night basis. I feel like, especially, definitely me, maybe some other fans, but definitely me, I'm taking Baycott a bit for granted. This guy's a really special player. He's putting up double-doubles night in, night out. And he did his part last night. Can't say offensively it was his fault whatsoever. Can't give the ball to himself. And that will lead me to the guards. I think there's too much ISO going on. There's a lack of ball movement, too many pull-up jumpers. Yes, Caleb Love and RJ can hit them. But when comparing offenses between the Tar Heels and the Fighting Irish, the difference in the amount of ball movement is its very noticeable. And yes, I, I like the pick and roll we have with Baycott. I think it's a nice two-man game, but sometimes it's just too much standing around. A bigger concern for me, though, Caleb Love's decision-making... Some of that tunnel vision really showed yesterday. Two possessions under three minutes that really stood out to me. I believe it was, came out if it was on a fast break or in the half court. Uh, he crossed over, took a drive on Cormac Ryan, went up uh, for a layup, ended up getting the ball stripped off his leg. That's a turnover wasted possession right there. And then when, with a minute and 11 left in the game, Caleb Love has the ball about 15-ish seconds on the shot clock. Looks to drive in. It's not there. He needs to pass the ball out. Instead, he takes a really bad fadeaway two-point shot. That was a, a contested shot. That's not an easy shot. He got tunnel visioned. I know he wants to score. I know he wants to, you know, he, he wants to be the guy. We we He has that, that alpha in him. He has that big dog mentality in him and he can make these shots but at that particular time that was not the right shot to take you need to pass that back out to rj or whoever is at the top of the key reset things and then if it's the bottom of the shot clock that's the shot you have to take that's fine but not with 10 plus seconds left on the shot clock again four turnovers for love you know just you know, he, he he had a couple charges drawn against him. It's just that, again, the tunnel vision of he wants to score out well no matter what, and sometimes it's the shot's just not there. The lane's just not there. This is something he's going to have to learn over time. He's probably going to watch that tape and be like, yes, there's someone right in front of me, three guys in front of me. I got to pass this ball out. I got to wait. Next time, let's see if we can get better looks. In basketball, there's always an opportunity to get a better shot. And I feel like yesterday, Caleb Love was just forcing any shot he could get. But don't want to be too critical. He's still been phenomenal this season. He still had a great second half and led the charge to get us back into that game on both ends of the floor, I thought. But what really gets me, I'm sure you guys who know me can see, can see this coming, who I'm about to talk about, because I mentioned him earlier on, missing that pretty open layup with about 20 to 30 seconds left. It's officially time to really talk about Leaky Black and what his role should be. And whether, seriously, whether he deserves his starting spot still. Because in the four years, and, and I know this is, this is kind of a sidetrack of the question I just, of what I just proposed. But Leaky Black, has, he's a senior, he's been here for four years. Absolutely zero offensive improvements whatsoever his shot is still broke he's still non-assertive he's not aggressive he doesn't want to drive to the basket he doesn't take anyone off to dribble and he basically just sits in the corner for half the game this is why we basically play four on five when he's on the floor on offense and then defensively 
He's supposed to be our best defender. He was asleep sometimes last night. Dane Goodwin, not a very athletic guy. He's a great shooter. He's, he's very fundamental, gets to his spots, but he blew by Leakey for an easy layup and a foul. Leakey was just sluggish last night, so lackadaisical. And if your role is to play defense and you don't do it very well, then why are you on the court? Why are you playing? Seriously, I thought Dontrez Styles, with his three minutes, showed way more hustle, a sense of urgency, and desire than Leaky Black the entire game. Styles had that great steal when he was guarding someone in the post, reaching around with his left hand to get that poke in to steal the ball. That's the type of hustle we need. That's what we need on defense. We need that spark plug. We need that energy. And you're supposed to be our best perimeter defender. And you're getting blown by by guards who, yes, they're good, but you're supposed to be our best defender. And combining that with his lack of, with his just lack of energy on the defensive end, which I thought he had a couple of nice defensive plays, but it, it, for me, it, it doesn't make up for his lack of 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 a, being a threat on offense. He has absolutely no tools on the offensive end. He's a liability. He's been a liability, but you thought that he could have improved his game in the offseason. But we have seen that Leaky Black still can't play offense. Yes, he has good vision. He's a great passer. But it comes a point in time where if we keep struggling, I think he should come off the bench. And I want Dontre Styles to get more minutes. I want DeMarco Dunn to get more minutes. DeMarco Dunn had a, a you know a couple rough shots last night that didn't go through, but I want him to get comfortable. He needs to be a scorer off the bench eventually for this team. But with Leaky Black clogging up these minutes at the three, these young freshmen aren't going to get those requisite minutes. And I don't think it's worth it. Now, we love Leaky Black. We love our seniors. I don't want to be too critical, but you got to play. You got to play hard. And he, and it's just very frustrating as a fan because he is just such a non factor for so much of the game. And I'd rather see a player, a young player, go in there who can be effective but gonna make mistakes and he's gonna keep improving. The lack of improvement really, really gets to me. And, and again, this should not be a player who's starting, in my opinion, because his strengths do not outweigh his weaknesses. I find that when he's not on the court, the offense flows better. And again, if you if you can't defend well, if you can't even do what you're best at, there's no reason to start Leaky Black, even when he's a senior, even when he's one of these leaders. Because we are ten and four, we're two and one in the ACC. But we got some tough games coming up. We got UVA on Saturday. That's going to be a big game. We know we have Duke. We have, you know, ACC's not super strong this year. We we don't want to miss the tournament. We want to keep that streak alive. Obviously, the, the COVID season kind of kept that in play. But the bottom line is this team right now is underperforming with lackluster defense and selfish offense. And a turnaround is imminent. We need to see someone step up. And we, we see Baycott, R.J. Davis, and Caleb Love. They all had good games. What about everyone else? We need Manic to get back into the swing of things. Anthony Harris, I think he's been pretty good. But, you know, we could see him contribute a little bit more. 
Freshmen, you know, I want them to get more minutes, but uh, I think with more minutes, we'll need to put, we'll need to come production. And then also, we can't forget Kerwin Walton was out due to COVID protocol. Same with Justin McCoy, and then uh, Dawson Garcia is in concussion protocol. So those are three key players for us. Um, or or you know, I, yeah, I'll, I'll go with key players mainly for Dawson, uh, but some good bench pieces as well that were out. Um, but that's the thing. This is a with the COVID protocols and all that. You got to play around that. You got to make sure you have guys prepared and ready to play. Unfortunately, for the most uh, most of the team last night, we didn't. But that's gonna do it for today's episode. Very, very. I'm very passionate about this game and the result that happened last night and why we ended up losing. Hence, why this recap video is a uh, podcast. Uh, is 25 minutes, but I want to make sure uh, it stops there. I could probably talk about it on and on and on, but that's why I have a podcast so I can talk about these things um, and you know and give my my pieces and my analysis on every game. Again, next podcast episode will most likely be the Virginia recap, and that's about it for me. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll speak to you next time.